Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of What's on the Pile. Joining me is Shane Lee. Hey. Jane Belcastro. Hello. And Jenner. Hello. Tonight, we're checking out something a little sweeter, the critically lauded family film Babe, about a pig who discovers his place in the world as a sheep herder, followed by its sequel, the biggest box office bomb of 1998, Babe, Pig in the City. Both <laughs> both of these have been on my pile for a while. I've, I'd never seen Babe, even though it's like hugely in the cultural zeitgeist, and I saw those trailers constantly. So I kind of felt like I'd already seen it, but... Uh, I definitely hadn't. <laughs> I just, <laughs> um, Wait, I thought I thought we were supposed to watch Gordy. But I watched <laughs> the wrong movie. <laughs> That's what uh, I guess it was. Disney wanted you to think at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's all I remember is that I was like, which, which one am I supposed to watch? Even back then. But yeah, this this was on my pile as well. Both of them were on my pile. Uh, I actually remember this was maybe the first Oscar season that I really paid attention to. This is the year that Braveheart won, right? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, so that's, that's I think, the only reason that Babe was really on my radar, because it was nominated for Best Picture, and I was like, well, how good can this kid's movie about a pig be? I, I just never saw it, because it really didn't interest me at the time. In, in my opinion, it turned out pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I saw it when it came out. Well, the... no, I don't think I did see it in the theater, though. I think I saw a videotape. Yeah, no, I, uh, I uh, first encountered this uh, on videotape when I was in college uh, during the, uh, the golden age of sell-through VHS, uh, but uh, particularly for family movies. It was, uh, I was directed to it by my college friends. Uh, my fraternity brothers and sisters kept going on and on and on about how utterly awesome this movie was. And initially I was, you know, a little bit, what, what, really? And then I took a look at the credits and realized that, yes, it's a talking pig movie. It's a talking pig movie co-written and produced by George the Road Warrior Miller. <laughs> uh, and, and that was uh, what uh, what sold me, and uh, I finally ended up seeing it on tape, and it was one of my favorite movies of that year. Uh, one of my favorite movies of that decade, to be frank. I uh, When we were watching this, I, I turned to Jess and I said, you ever watch one of those movies where the first 10 minutes in, you can just tell it's a masterpiece? Well, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one of those movies. I actually, I forgot that this was a talking animals movie. So the first time when, when uh, Babe is in his little pen and is all lonely and starts talking, I actually jumped. I <laughs> did not expect a human voice to come out of his face. <laughs> <laughs> but then I remembered. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's, he's supposed to talk. I just, I guess I was kind of zoned out at the time and, and not really thinking about what I was watching. Uh, but I also had sort of flashbacks to Oakjaw, those opening scenes mm-hmm. with the, uh, the big farm. And they sh- and, and the opening credits where they showed the inside of the pig and they showed like sausages inside the pig. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting opening. But yeah, it, yeah it, was, it, was, it was delightful. Yeah. It was, it was dark in a way that wasn't overbearing. It was like realistically grounded dark, the opening. But, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That, 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 uh, that being said, I think the... Uh, the moment that it really grabbed me after the credits uh, or during the credits, I, uh, I recognized that main tune that uh, they were riffing on. And I was like, OK, this is going to be interesting to see how this goes, because Sanson's Third Symphony is already one of my favorite symphonies. Uh, and uh, then just the opening sequence uh, panning through the uh, uh, 
I, I guess, the pig house, just the bit of uh, the front gate of the thing opening up and that light casting in is like, this is some distinctly assured direction of a sort that one does not see in a family film, and I'm going to be very interested to see where this is all going. <laughs> the experience of re-watching it uh, the other night uh, with, with uh, Jane, I think as much as anything else, kind of punches home what a complete softy I have become as I, I've gotten older. Oh, yeah, Our eyes were leaking in the first 10 minutes. Absolutely. <laughs> Jenner was like, that's it. And he paused it. But I was like, it's only been 10 minutes. He's like, I need a smoke. I need a smoke right now. <laughs> just a bit of little babe. Uh, you know, just that, just the, the, the quiet voicing. Goodbye, mom. I was just, Oh, oh damn it. Brutal. <laughs> mother. Motherfucker. I want my mom. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then later a few wonders if his brothers and sisters and mother are dead. And I think fly just says probably. Yeah. Aww. Speaking for my own part, uh, just on this rewatch, and this is a movie that I have seen a lot in the past. I'm talking like at least eight times. Uh, I think I still counted, you know, granted, not for a long time. I think I still counted myself guesting, getting Misty probably about seven times uh, in the course of the picture. So it holds up. It de uh, it, it definitely retains uh uh, bo both uh, the sentimental and emotional value that uh, that uh, it had at the time, possibly even more so, just because I think emotions have gotten a lot more blunted in a lot of uh, movies, particularly family movies, over the last couple of decades. Well, it, it also helps working with uh, Jim Henson's Creature Shop uh, to get a very realistic uh animatronics uh working for the film uh, they sometimes there were there were points where i was like oh wait that's an animatronic oh wait yeah. that's not the real animal i think that was mostly ferdinand right I, he was the only one where i would really think oh that's that's a puppet or an yeah. animatronic yeah if well, it was no, I mean, if it was ferdinand if it was Ferdinand from the neck up, it was uh, it was definitely an animatronic. It was a lot harder to tell for a lot of the rest of the movie. No, no, I, I, I picked it out every time. Pretty, I think. I mean, who knows? It was it's really good animatronics. But I do remember, you know, I was like, okay, so right there, Fly is uh, a, a puppet, or or just you know a doll that they put down there. I don't even think they, they might've been breathing. And, and then uh, when Rex was being drugged, that was also an animatronic, but they actually did do a little bit of facial movement on there, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the details to make it look alive. It reminded me of uh, when we were watching a uh, uh, little shop of horrors and Shane, you said how the animatronics from Jim Henson's creature shop were so realistic and really brought you into the movie. And uh, they did the same thing for me here in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and speaking of fly, what an awesome name for a dog. Oh, yeah. If I, I mean, I'm allergic, but if I could ever have a pet dog, I would want to name it fly. You know, boy or girl. It's just a great name. I mean, especially for a sheep dog, a job whose dog is to fly dog, fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why? Uh, Remember, we were talking about uh, iris transitions. Uh, what oh, was yeah. that last week? Yeah, but that was uh, that. That uh, I, I remind us, like you remember, we were talking about this one has a lot of those. <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this I is not. This is not great effect with those little not... mice. Oh yeah, I love the mice. 
this is not the movie with just the one uh, iris effect. Uh, this is pretty much iris effects for every major transition. But again, contextually, it, it kind of adds to uh, sort of the storybook quality of the whole thing. Yeah. Has anybody read the book? No. No, no, no I have not. No, I haven't either. I, actually, check that. I think I might have... I think I might have read it right around the time, but I don't remember it. Welcome to the club, babe. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a long book, if I recall correctly. Um, I loved Christine Cavanaugh as as Babe uh, from Dexter's Lab. Good old Dexter herself. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was fantastic. Uh, I I was sad to find out she died a a little while ago. Oh, goodness. I feel like I heard that. And I, again, don't remember. That yeah, terrible. Yeah. Well, I think she did a fantastic job as Babe, uh, really bringing that uh, emotion to the character, which is ostensibly not <laughs> human emotional. Yes, but also it was a very young pig, and you know, children have those, you know, depths of emotions where they're not trying to hide anything; they just feel. And that's, she really, really carried that off. Yeah. Yeah, I can say that's uh, sort of the thing that struck me is, uh, again, I I, I sort of mentioned it earlier, but the movie indulges in a raw emotionality that you really don't see in ostensibly family movies from, you know, most of the time since then, Uh, which I I, I think just makes it uh, that much more powerful revisiting it at good lord a 26 year remove i guess since the first time that i saw this thing it's been a while 90s are a million years ago shut up <laughs> <laughs> i know i was i was thinking about it myself with um but i i remember the one thing i have an anecdote and it's not even mine i'm i'm gonna borrow it i was watching the oscars that year and Whoopi goldberg was hosting and she said um 1995 was a big year for pigs with babe and striptease and then everybody's like oh no in the audience and then she goes oh come on i haven't seen so many poles abused since uh world war ii so So that that's the one thing i remember uh about the fear over babe and how you know everybody was talking about it that year at the oscars but anyway so Well, I mean, even at that point, I think it was the first G-rated movie to have been nominated for a Best Picture Oscar, I guess, since Beauty and the Beast uh, at that point. Yeah. Uh, Well, that wasn't that much before. It wasn't that much before, but... Yeah, uh, that was only like maybe 10 years, right? uh, No, no, uh, uh, less than that. I want to say Beauty and the Beast was, what, 91, I think? Yeah. Um, It was 90 or 91, so it wasn't actually that long, but... uh, Prior to that, I don't think there had been a G-rated movie uh, uh, nominated for a Best Picture Oscar in longer than uh, I could recall before that point. Uh, I might be mistaken, but uh, the point is it's still a relatively unusual phenomenon even now. I mean, probably even more so now just because the G-rated movies or uh, most of the movies that would have been rated G in the 90s that you know, had some actual heft to them, probably would get a PG at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Do you think like, just just for just for on screen blood, even if it's fake, you know, animal blood, uh, at, Babe at this point, if it were to be subsequently re-rated, would get a PG just because the blood is red. Oh, yeah, that's true. That was put onto the list, wasn't it? Yep. You know, and it was a pretty. You're talking about Ma's death, right? Ma's death. That, yes, that was again. a pretty horrifying scene. I, I do have yeah. a question about yeah. that point where Are, I a point where I got Misty number four, if I recall <laughs> correctly, from this well, most recent viewing. My question is, so Hoggett thinks Babe did it. How exactly would Babe have slit Ma's throat? Or, or... Okay, okay, you found the one thing that bothered me in the movie. Okay, well, yeah, I'm, I I had to say it because it, I'm like, how? Why would you think that? Well, wild boars are kind of a-holes, so maybe he was thinking that he suddenly grew tusks. I don't know. <laughs> like he was, you know, Hoggett was the one who believed in Babe from the very beginning, and then all of a sudden he just believes he's a killer. It's, it's not a huge deal. I just It's something that stuck out to me. I guess it stuck out to you too, Nate. Yeah, it did. Well, was he like, almost <laughs> was a killer in the second movie, but we won't get into that yet. <laughs> and, 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 and was that an intentional Wrath of Khan reference when uh, when when Babe called Ma's name around her body? Or, you know, when, when he was standing by her body in the camera, there's, a, there's an overhead shot and it kind of pulls up and he's like, Ma... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's one of the 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 uh, the, uh, the overhead pull out in a moment of anguish is uh, is a much observed phenomenon. I I mean, you could you know do a supercut of uh, you know shots uh, like uh, uh, like that and cross cut it with uh, you know McBain on The Simpsons going Mendoza <laughs> and any number of other shots that kind of play to the same uh, trope. That said, you know, it's an effective trope and. And again, the absolute sincerity of this picture really sells the emotionality of it. As for Farmer Hoggett's moment of doubt, uh, I, I, that 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 feels to me just like a little bit of sort of unnecessary that uh, unnecessary suspense just to kind of put the movie through the motions. But the center of the movie is kind of lacking for sort of you know, suspense or incident particularly to the point where it feels like it's it's sort of a necessary act beat even if it's not actually a necessary moment so i can i i i can okie doke it from a structural standpoint but also it's the moment that convinces farmer hoggett ultimately that his original faith was in fact absolutely correctly placed yeah, and how how awesome was James Cromwell in this movie? Oh, oh, oh so good. You know, I, I'm used to him playing like bureaucrats or like you know the guy in charge who is is always wrong about everything or I don't know just the, the the warmth he brings to this role, even while remaining his sort of stoic self, I thought was really phenomenal. It's a beautifully beautifully modulated performance. It's it it's never more than it needs to be. Uh, when he's the, singing the babe oh, and doing the, dancing. the dance. Oh, yeah. Oh. Wonderful. That, that, oh. That's a moment that would be silly if it weren't perfect. That's that's kind of how I tend to view that. <laughs> there is there is a sweet, grounded sincerity to this movie that you see very rarely in family films. So many of them are designed from the ground up to keep the kids happy while giving the adults something to look at. This this movie doesn't do any of that. It's just a, an excellent story, well told. And it's a funny movie without being jokey. Uh, if they made this now, it would be lousy with you know worthless po- uh, pop cultural references just because that's the way they do that sort of thing now. Now, the pop cultural references that are built into the movie 
are organic. They're not presented as jokes. They're, you know, the, uh, the, the Greek chorus of mice uh, singing classic doo-wop tracks and that sort of thing. <laughs> and in context, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't feel like they're winking or nodding to you. It's just, you know, this is the world in which the, uh, uh, the story takes place. And it's, it's fine. It works. It, it plays beautifully. I love the design of the world too, like the asymmetric house, just all angles, all all over the place, kind of German expressionist style out there. It's very fun. And yet they have like fax machines and <laughs> and the like. <laughs> so you know, it's like that that mixture of what what year is this supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, which I like. Like Hoggett building his own his own gate contraption stuff like that. Was that really was a cool. that was a wonderful touch. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, another instance of uh, this is an instance of something that would be unnecessary, except it's perfect and it tells you. It, it's just a wonderful character note for uh, for Farmer Hoggett's character. It's a uh, it's a master class in show not tell. Absolutely, absolutely. Despite you know the rather wonderful narration in the uh, in the dulcet baritone of uh, of the great Roscoe Lee Brown. <laughs> I also I love the scene where where uh, Babe goes in to get the clock. As I was watching that scene, I was like, "This is a heist scene! Like it's it is it's yeah. filmed and, and directed just as well as like a heist in a thriller movie." Uh, even though you know Ferdinand's freaking out, freaking out outside, and you know uh, being silly, like watching it, it was I thought it was very suspenseful and and the way it all uh, came together. They planned it out. They had a plan. They went with it. It, it got messed up. They adjusted. It was, and it was there was a tension there in the in the air so while much. watching it. Yeah, no, one of the uh, uh, the the moment that really goes to establish the, tr- the true menace of Duchess the cat, uh, <laughs> who who has actually I I think my single favorite uh, character beat in a movie that is full of amazing character beats, just in the offhand way that she re- she refers to the boss and the boss's husband. Whereas everybody else refers to the boss and the boss's wife. <laughs> I love that. Speaking too, of yeah. Esme, uh, I was mentioning earlier that uh, I love this show, Kath and Kim. And there is a character on there called Sharon, and she was fantastic. I love Sharon. It's an Australian show, which we can get back to the mention that everybody in this was dubbed. That's what uh, Jenner told me. But I'll, 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 we'll get back to that. But yeah, apparently this woman, uh, Magda, and please don't make me. Uh, Subansky. Okay, very good. That Wow, very good. Um, no, uh, she was in it, and I, I kept going, I know who this is, because I just watched Kath and Kim, and then, oh my gosh, it's Esme Hoggett is, is Sharon. Academy Award nominee Esme Hoggett. Yes, uh, exactly. And she really does get a chance to shine in the second movie. We'll talk about that later. So, <laughs> but yeah, so you were telling me, Jenner, that um, everybody in here Al- was dubbed. almost everybody. I am not entirely convinced uh, that Magna Subansky was uh, was dubbed. Me neither, because she, she's really good with accents. All, although uh, her Australian accent did shine through distinctly more in the second picture, uh, but almost everybody else uh, was uh, was dubbed to, uh, to sound more American, uh, or in some cases more English, but you know less Australian, uh, as I understand it. I, I've always been curious to see if I can hunt up an Australian uh, release of the film, uh, just to see what all of the supporting character voices sound like. That's it. That would be interesting. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to hear that as well. That's I had no idea that any of them were dubbed at all. 
Uh, so yeah, I guess I, that, they... that that was something I actually noticed relatively early in my experience with the movie. See, these guys they don't look quite. I mean, the the voice match is great. I mean, it, it's a movie where the animals' voice, uh, you know, uh, lip sync is, is great. The people's lip sync is going to be great. Uh, this was uh, I don't I don't know if you remember this particular chunk of the golden age of uh, of uh, U.S. anime VHS, but this was right around the time that what do they call that lip syncing uh, technology like WordFit or oh wait or, or, uh, crazy talk that w- that was the one that you were talking about on the professional side uh, for making the uh, uh, oh the anim- I know what you're t- well but I mean when people would do machinima in Second Life uh, they would use crazy talk but i'd seen it used previously too well in this case what i'm thinking of i think it was called word fit it was a, a a technology basically to make the lip movements of uh dubbed uh oh, anime mostly i'm sorry uh, i was thinking of something else then like match up perfectly uh which oddly enough is something that kind of uh, kind of went away a little bit uh, as uh, they got back toward uh, you know the digital releases with you know the hybrid of the English and Japanese tracks I think so it isn't something that I've had have, that I've heard about in a while which is you know why I probably am screwing up the name of what that particular technology was uh, at this point in any case but. Um, it's not like, you know, 1970s Kung Fu theater, you know, dubbing mismatches, just the tiniest little bit off where it doesn't look like that face is making that voice. Um, so there was just a little bit of uncanny valley there, but you know that puts uh, that puts it on uh, a list of exactly two with movies where I'd like to see the original non-dubbed versions. The other one being Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> Because, because of course, Uncle Frank uh, originally had a working class British accent, but it ended up getting redubbed uh, uh, with uh, with a, a more generic, a more baritonal American accent. That that one you can kind of tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved uh, I loved Hugo Weaving showing up as Rex. Uh, very uh, very interesting character. It goes probably through, I think, the best ar- character arc in the movie, uh, as far as growth goes for a character. I, I really I really liked what happened with him um, coming to accept Babe as uh, as a sheep herding dog, but having to put aside his ego in order to do so. He also um, uh started to respect the sheep a little bit more too at the end as well i don't think fly really caught that as much uh i mean she started out really nice but mean to sheep and i i don't think she ever really got past am i wrong i can't quite remember she kind of grudgingly said the words they wanted to hear i think but i don't think she ever really yeah she didn't believe it in her heart she 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 never she never made an overt statement of a change of heart but at the same time when uh, she said please and thank you as she was uh uh, departing with the news uh that uh that babe had uh had uh uh, driven off the uh uh, the wolves that kind of marked a turning point in her character and again it's a perfect example of it's not really commented on uh except in the little bit of narration where Roscoe Lee Brown is explaining the internal thought processes, both of the sheep as well as fly as they're attempting to communicate with each other, which is a wonderful moment in its own right. But uh, again, it's an instance of the characters, the characters behave as the characters will behave. We don't really need 
too much commenting upon it. It's, an, it's not a movie that lampshades anything. Uh, which in this case, as a great fan of lampshading, I nevertheless actually appreciate immensely. Uh, it also, uh, the uh, the character arc of, uh, of uh, Rex particularly, to say nothing of, of course, I knew when I saw The Matrix in 99 that I had heard that uh, Agent Smith's voice somewhere before, but it took me years, years afterwards to figure out that it was, oh my God, it was Rex. Um <laughs> But uh, Rex's uh, character arc uh, uh, points up one of the other things that I actually really love about this movie, which is there aren't actually any bad guys. It it, it is not a movie with, you know, conventional, ostensible good versus evil dichotomies or nemeses or anything. The closest thing uh, to, uh, to an evil character is Duchess, and Duchess is just a cat. Cats are assholes. Our cats are the sweetest animals on the fucking planet, and they're still assholes sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess there's, there's, the, there's the judges, I guess, who are like really begrudging, but you know they kind of come around. Well, Esme Hoggett, when she kept talking about meat, <laughs> seemed a little bit, you know, like, oh, you know, this book movie's about a pig. And then I was like, yeah, but I totally agree with her. I mean, that, that sounds delicious. The cracklings. I mean, come on. <laughs> And there, there were the sheep thieves as well. Yes, oh, those you're right. I, and I, their I, dog. I, I forgot about. I forgot about that. The sheep thieves and their dogs are genuinely evil characters. But except that they're not characters, they're just you know those guys in that one scene. Yeah, yeah we don't uh, even know their names. They're just jerks. Yeah, it, it doesn't constitute a subplot. It's just a particular incident. Yeah, it's a challenge that presents itself. Well put. Well put. Did anybody else think that Babe technically cheated at the uh, the sheep herding contest? Just... <laughs> well, yeah. Well, did you ever? Did you guys ever watch the old Dennis the Menace animated series? Yes. Yeah. There was an episode where Dennis finds a horse and he like helps the horse get a rock out of its paw or something, and the horse loves him. And then later in the episode, he somehow ends up riding that horse in a rodeo, so he just rides peacefully around the ring because the horse loves him and he wins. <laughs> That's what this reminded me of. Well, well actually, uh, I think you may have a point there, but the movie carries it across so well that you kind of don't really notice until you see the sequel. I don't really <laughs> feel like he I mean, needs, needed to win. I mean, excuse me, that he needed to perform. He just needed to get famous enough that he wouldn't get eaten. I, I mean, mean I, that's what I, I, I thought that I, was the end goal, not I, to make him the best you know, sheep herder ever. I'm going to elaborate on the statement I just made uh, a lot in the second half, uh, but uh, uh, suffice it to say, there are instances, distinct instances, in in this movie where the anthropomorphization piles on just a little bit thick, so you come close to flirting with the idea that, you know, maybe this kind of really isn't how animals actually think or behave. But again, as I say, the movie carries it across so well that you don't really, th- you, you don't even think about it when you're watching it. You flirt with thinking about it uh, after it's happened or more likely after you actually watch the movie. You think about it a lot when you see the sequel, but we'll we'll save that for the second half. Um, I, I, I really loved the ending, um, though. <laughs> no, no, the, I, the, the ending makes me, you know, I don't cheer overtly a lot of the time. If I had been in the theater, I would have cheered. I want to cheer every time that I see it. Yeah, uh, I yeah, no, the... I definitely cheered. I I did not 
it did not occur to me that it might be cheating. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I didn't really mean that. But technically, you're not wrong, Shane. No, that's the was. thing. That's you're not. You're not wrong. But it was but so love, beautiful. Yeah, yeah I love that the whole, the, whole, the whole sheep wrangling at the end. There's no music. There's no dramatic swelling music. There's no. Uh, you know, dramatic angles. It just plays out in silence. Not silence, but you know, the with the ambient noise. It just plays out, and then, it's like, <laughs> and then yeah, I and made then it they, so funny. They, and then they thunder into this magnificent reorchestration of possibly the single most famous moment in all of the history of French symphonic music, and it's perfect. It's so I, I can't tell you how much I love that symphony, but I love what they did with that symphony in this as well. Well, I think uh, that's about, I think that's a good place to take our break. Uh, We'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, Jenner, you remembered something you wanted to share while you were having a cigarette. Yes, yes, uh, 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 which I realize is kind of becoming a habit lately, but uh, it's, well, it helps me think. Anyway, uh, I was, uh, I, I know I mentioned earlier, uh, or uh, a reference to uh, my, you know, time in uh, the uh, the fraternity up at Bowdoin. Uh, the, the, don't necessarily hold uh, hold that against me. Uh, it was uh, the uh, it was the very strange, spooky old house co-ed fraternity at uh, at Bowdoin, and so it, it, it's not an unusual thing that uh, that uh, my brothers and sisters would have uh, suggested something like this uh, to me. But the uh, the thing was during that period, I was kind of sort of uh, the unofficial. I guess, media director for the house at the time. We had a big, uh, huge, I guess, back projection television in the basement. And so I would arrange uh, for, you know, screening interesting stuff uh, for Friday nights when everybody was, you know, drunk or otherwise messed up on mind-altering substances. And I uh, I, I got it in, uh, in my head that a fun thing to do would be to use uh, uh, or to, uh, to entertain the people with vaguely surreal berserkoid you know just weird ass stuff occasionally in uh, double features and the most successful of those that i remember uh aside from this one time where i showed star trek the motion picture and one of my friends uh who was uh, who was messed up on tussin at the time uh said that she had imagined that she was watching the entire flo- uh, ru- uh, the entire picture floating in the middle of the air in the room with the movie projected as though it were on smoke ahead of her, which sounded like fun. Uh, The most successful of the double features that I think I ever arranged were uh, Quick Change, you know, the the 1990 Bill Murray movie, which, uh, of course, Nate knows how much I love that movie. It's uh, a quasi-surrealist crackerjack masterpiece, followed by Andrei Rublev, uh, you know, the uh, extremely long, uh, Andre, uh, almost plotless Andrei Tarkovsky movie uh, from the 60s. But the other one, and the one that I think I enjoyed personally the most when I was messed up on Tussin, was a double feature <laughs> of uh, Babe and the long version of Once Upon a Time in America. And this started at, I think, about 10 o'clock at night, continued till about 3.30 in the morning. And if I recall correctly, nobody left the room the entire time. Uh, so that, that went over well. Uh, so this is a movie that, that that can hit to the heart, even of you know vaguely jaded 
liberal arts college students. <laughs> excellent, excellent. It's um, a good recommendation. <laughs> good, yeah. good times, good times. Interesting double feature. Um, well, we are now going to talk about the sequel, Babe, Pig in the City, where uh, Babe must go to the city with uh, Esma and uh, try to save the farm by selling himself. Um, what everybody think of this? I had uh, high hope. I saw this in the theater, and I hadn't actually seen it since I saw it in the theater. I had high hopes for it uh, because it was actually directed by George the Road Warrior uh, Miller uh, this time. Um, ultimately, I have to say it has some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful bits in it. Uh, but it kind of leaves me cold, and I think it actually did more so uh, on second viewing for reasons that I'll doubtless circle back to. Okay, good. I'm not completely alone then. I hate. No, no, you're not. <laughs> I, I <laughs> hate utterly hated this movie. Oh no! I didn't wow. like it at all. I did not like it. I didn't like it from the get-go when uh, when Babe's toupee is like way more pronounced, it, and it just kind of serves as a. Uh, uh, a symbol of what the movie is to me, which is just everything more pronounced. Everything is pronounced and uh, and more and bigger and it's meaner and darker and, and all these things. Uh, but that toupee <laughs> really bugged the <laughs> shit out of me. It was a bigger pig, too. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a sign of misfortunate things to come. <laughs> I, I kind of liked it. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't think, hate I, it. No, I didn't hate it. I thought it was silly. I mean, the first scene, I'm like, is Babe gonna kill Hoggett? No, oh my God. Uh, th there was a scene early on when he meets that drug sniffing dog, uh, and I was like, is this what the movie's gonna be about? Please let this be about Babe becoming a drug sniffing pig. Because <laughs> you know, what, one oh, of the things I one of the things I loved about the original is, you know, I love it when a movie shows a person finding their calling or an animal finding their calling which the first one was about sheep herding and I was like is this one going to be about him finding his calling as a drug sniffing dog is he going to catch criminals is that this is going to be awesome and I mean it wasn't about that they do, they do call it back later in a way that doesn't really make any sense but uh that early scene I was kind of hopeful that it was going to be about something else you're hoping it would be the air bud of pig movies. <laughs> well, in, in in the same way that the movie, uh, the first movie was a not at all subtle uh, parable about uh, prejudice. This movie is, I think, maybe a way too subtle when it's not acutely on the nose parable about the prison industrial complex, I guess. Uh, and late-stage capitalism. And late-stage capitalism. I exactly. It's It it, it lacks the point uh, of the first movie. Uh, I, I think that's... There, it had some. It had some major things uh, ultimately working against it that uh, that are kind of easier to spot in in hindsight. It's not based on pre-existing source material. Um, they lost the Jim Henson people, which doesn't really affect the effectiveness of the uh, the animatronic and and puppetry uh, work, but I think it definitely affects the tone of the picture, uh, and. It spends lots of time setting up a patently ridiculous situation that 
as opposed to the first movie where occasionally animals did things that aren't really like the things animals actually wouldn't do, no animals behave any way like the way that the animals in this movie behave. They're just little people who don't speak English. Uh, now, again, the set design is uh, is kind of amazing at times. Uh, oh, I love the city with the Venice Canal, yes. the Sydney Opera House. Yes. It's got Hollywood. Uh, I mean, I think Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah the, Eiffel the, Tower. The, the visual imagination in the movie is, is not the problem. Uh, the, 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 particularly in the set design, the visual imagination in the movie is uh, absolutely spot on. It's just the fundamental unnecessariness of the picture. Well, I mean, I think their first mistake was getting rid of Hoggett. I, I yeah, don't know if yeah. maybe James Cromwell didn't no, want that, to do it yeah, or he that, wasn't available. That, that that was the third mistake that I uh, that I meant to get to a moment ago. Yes. No, no, no. You're uh, thank you for br- bringing me back around to it. Uh, I, I got hung up on the whole pointlessness of it all because it is fundamentally completely pointless. Uh, aside from just having a lot more animals on the farm by the end of the movie, nothing substantive happens. Uh, Not ba- exactly. Babe's character I mean, arc doesn't change. Esme ha- da- ha- has a, a pretty interesting uh, character development in this, but it's she spent she spends half of the movie, uh, you know, in in the joint covered in some kind of slime anyway. She she spends uh, half the movie being humiliated over and over and over again. They treated they did her dirty. It was bad. They they were cruel to poor Esme. They did not need to go as far as they did with the humiliations that that she had to endure during the course of this film. Just if you want to get her out of the film for a little while, just do it. Just do that and and don't keep dunking on her with gross shit and all sorts of Jail darkness. Time. Jail and, time. Uh, yeah. Oh, and and uh, cavity search apparently. Yeah, what the fuck? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my whole impression of the movie was that uh, it you know, it starts out Hey, that's the hey, these are the characters we like. Oh, that wig. Uh, oh no, uh, Babe's gonna kill Farmer Hoggett. Uh, then they are about to lose the farm. They set up a way to fix the farm. They never actually go through with that and keep. I it, I hate it when it keep when it divides so far from the original. Like this is what we're gonna do, and it and they just get a sudden resolution at the end. That that did bother me. I agree that that it shouldn't have but they did get a resolution they had to sell the hotel so they used that money to save the farm so that you know it did it did happen but it was it was so quick and it was pat it was just yes a little hand wave just yeah exactly and uh oh other problems i i do kind of like that the misfortunes that befall farmer hoggett at the beginning of the film basically play as a very loose adaptation of a legendary routine from a British humorist named Gerard Hoffnung, known as the Brit- the Bricklayer's Letter to the Workman's Compensation Board, uh, which is sometimes referred to by the people who remember it as the funniest five minutes in the English language. But its use in uh, in, in this movie, especially with uh, w- without anything resembling direct attribution, 
it's it, it, it's a welcome homage, but it, it, it again is played much darker than uh, the uh, than the source on that specific bit. And of course, it does have, as as Shane said, the absolutely unwelcoming uh, unwelcome sidelining of uh, James Cromwell for almost the entire picture. I mean, his wife Esme was sort of a cartoon character in the first one, like a charming one. Then I'm watching this one. Again, I sort of like this movie, but as I'm watching, I'm like, now she's the lead human, which, and then they cartoon her up even more, which of course, that just kind of takes you out of this, kind of takes you out of the, the sort of charm of what the first one had with, with Cromwell and, and, and the farm. Yeah, the, I agree. The movie, the movie lacks most of the charm of the first picture. Uh and then you get Mickey Rooney and some chimps, and then suddenly it's nightmare fuel. Oh yeah, yeah. that that was horrifying. It yeah. was all horrifying. I I like Jenner said he doesn't particularly like chimpanzees, and I was like, well, you don't like these because they're being forced into such an anthropomorphic role that they, you know, they, he's like they sling poop. I'm like because they, you know, they wouldn't do that if they weren't locked in cages at zoos or being forced to. Yeah, they... but they're dangerous too. If you keep them, yeah, yeah, they you can't are. keep them as a pet or anything like that. They'll te- tear no. your face off. Literally, that has happened. Yep, yes. I saw like that gangsters show. in this movie, and it's also probably <laughs> the single most alarming performance I've ever seen Mickey Rooney give in anything. Uh, not least because he doesn't get any lines, but because you know, for no discernible reasons, the first time that he that we see him, he's apparently drunk, and his mouth is covered in. Something. something. <laughs> uh, it's and he's a clown. He's a clown. I'm amazed that you didn't. I, I, I hate I, clowns. Yeah, I, I was amazed that you didn't actually comment on that while we were watching it. Frankly, I was uh, doing my best. I, I was like, it's just Mickey Rooney. It's just Mickey Rooney. But it was <laughs> just so, keep it was... just keep telling yourself it's just Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, the uh, the movie takes a turn for the grotesque, which was not in any way, shape, or form an aspect of the first picture. Uh, you know, gr- grotesque veering into rococo at times. Um, and as I say, there are still some wonderful little bits in it. Um, I think I, I, I think the closest that it that uh, it, it got to hitting me in the feels was the one bit where the little street kitten says that her tummy hurts. That really got me. But at the same time, they're kind of playing on they're they're contriving uh, an untenable situation. And then playing on your emotions as it all goes sideways, where realistically it would have never gotten there in the first place. That hell, that hotel could not be a thing. Uh, the what yeah, happens? Doug Dog would not have barked just to prove that he could get some food. Yeah, animals keep doing things that they wouldn't do in this movie, and things keep going sideways. And the actual characters, yeah, of the animals are often relatively appealing but the context in which they find themselves has taken this bizarro turn toward punkish nihilism which is so out of place particularly in a sequel to babe for god's sake yeah. it's uh, uh, I, ma- I made a point of making a note of that that it's a very cynical film yeah and and they even screwed up uh, they even screwed up the sans song you know uh, babe yeah. start started to sing the song and that was nice and it gave you a moment a little moment in the fields but then everybody just you know forgets the words and just starts going la 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 it's basic it's basic shit uh, 
That the one thing that they couldn't get wrong, and they got it wrong. <laughs> Did you know this is uh, Gene Siskel's favorite movie of 1998? Yep. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to continue? <laughs> Do you want to? Not, or not you, particularly. Kind of that's, okay. that, that's kind of a whole nother something or other. Yeah. <laughs> Could leave it at that. Um, yeah, I just I found everything about this movie mean and, and cruel, and in that same way that I I find Tom and Jerry kind of mean and cruel, where the violence is so cartoony uh, that it could potentially lead to kids imitating it, and the, they get pretty violent in the film. The, the The entire chase scene with the dogs, where Babe is on the verge of death, and and he's, like, getting flashbacks of his life as he's about to die. What the hell? I mean, I it was... It was horrifying. It was horrifying. It, not, not terrifying. Horrifying. Which is not something this movie should be. And Flea, like, died for, like, 15 seconds. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when he was on his side? That was pretty intense. He yeah! Was just, like, shaking. He, he was free and chasing butterflies. And yeah. then he went back to his body and he was like, oh, well, okay, I'm alive. None of it was earned. I'm still in my little wheelchair and my name's still Fleelick. I, I wonder how many kids would watch this movie and then start feeding their pets candy. They fed one to the fish. I've, I have two fish tanks. I was like, what the fuck? Why would you show this in a kid's movie? Anyway, actually, now that I think about it, my neighbors had two little girls and they did kill all of the fish in their parents' tank by putting sugar in it. Oh, I no. don't I no, care if candy or sugar, something, something terrible. I don't even know what sugar would do, but I know it can't be good. No. I mean, I mean, leave it to those fucking chimpanzees. You know, they are supposed to go out to forage for food, and they come back with you know fucking empty calories. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a jar full of jelly beans. That's not going to do. Most of those, as Jane observed last night, most of those animals can't even digest that crap. <laughs> That's true. Uh, they played the uh, Edith Pilaf song twice in a like within ten minutes of each other. Uh, trying to evoke completely different uh, emotions both times. One letting the, the mice sing it uh, near the beginning, and then the second, I've forgotten what was occurring during the second one, because I didn't care. I was just hearing the song, like, they just played this. Why, why are they doing it again? Although I have to say that the mouse design was a lot better in the second one. Yeah. Am I wrong? I thought they were cuter. I, I don't know. I don't know. Just an aside. I, I thought they were <laughs> status quo. For me, okay. I thought they were better than the first one. <laughs> what I... they seemed they seemed to have a little bit more articulation to them, but I think that's about uh, you know the ex extent of my response. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the one thing. One of the things I really liked about it was that and the uh, the cat choir. That was they cute. Were very cute. There were a lot of cute moments. There are a lot of wonderful moments in this movie. It is. There are, there are so many moments that squander the wonderful moments in this movie or undercut it or just, you know, play like chaos for chaos's sake. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's in a vacuum. It would be, you know, kind of wonderful that uh, that George Miller basically restaged Thunderdome in, in a movie about a talking pig. But ultimately, it's, you know... 
physically impossible, ridiculous things happening. A cute baby monkey in peril for no particular reason. That bothered o- me yeah. too. Other, other than just to screw with you. And in the meantime, a bunch of you know chefs, dandies, and waiters doing stuff that no chef, dandy, or waiter would ever, ever, ever do. Wait, you've never <laughs> seen a uh, a chef find a pig on the street and say, "I'm cooking this shit." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No. I'm sure it happens sometimes. <laughs> I don't <laughs> just uh, I had a moment I had a moment watching where I'm like, what the hell am I watching? When when uh Esme has got her, her her ass pumped up in those pants or whatever flying around this charity event. Like, what is this? And then the worst the worst part of the scene, the, so the, the thing I was en- was enjoying was the poor champagne guy who kept trying to keep the champagne from toppling over. It never gets toppled over. That's how the scene should end. Everything she gets the pig gets away, and everyone's like, "Whew!" They and slam the, the champ- they, they yeah. slam the door, and then the yeah. champagne top. Yeah, it over. never happens. <laughs> it, they, it never comes back. I'm like, why even have that? You're right. Check off champagne. Yep. Yeah. Gotta use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. I want. I wanted so much to like this movie when I saw it in the theater. I, I adored the first one so much. I thought, no, oh, yay, more Adventures of Babe. And, you know, George Miller's actually directing this time. This is this is my least favorite George Miller movie. Easily. <laughs> Easily. It's, it is generally well executed. You know what? I hadn't formulated it at, at, at the time, but uh, it actually calls, uh, calls back, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jenner's Razor. You could have made any movie you wanted to make. Any movie. Why in the hell did you make this one? (laughs) (laughs) I I guess I enjoyed it just because it was... uh, There's just so many moments where I'm like, there's a prostitute dog in this movie now? Okay. There's there's this, there's this. It it was just kind of... It was always engaging because it was just always surprising and weird. I guess that's why I enjoyed it. But yeah, I wouldn't call this movie good. I don't know if I would recommend watching it. Yeah, I agree I, with you, Shane. I I like it just fine. It's it was entertainment. Uh, there were problems, obviously, and you know, you were right. The candy is just unforgivable, and uh, it really is. I mean, that could endanger actual animals, and but but it's I was still entertained. Again, that city is so cute, and you know, all of the the architecture was adorable and well i'll say i'll say again the design is absolutely faultless uh the the city aside from being i i guess full of leather gangs and leather cops i guess uh the uh the contents of the city are dubious but the city itself is fascinatingly designed uh especially that little you know apparently zoned uh, uh mixed residential and uh and uh, commercial street corner where there's a, a residential mansion next to the canal across the uh, uh, across the canal from uh from uh, a hotel that somehow stays in business despite only having animals as tenants yeah uh leaving leaving the design aside again as i say the design is faultless it's um i cannot conceive of who this movie was actually intended for uh i know that uh, i said earlier that uh, the original bay probably wouldn't get a g now this got a g as well and that's even more inexplicable that was inexplicable then 
uh, just for the you know sheer darkness of the tone of it all. Yeah, this feels like a PG thirteen. Yeah, I know, just right? Just based on the subject matter. And I actually did watch this with the kids, uh, and they did not like it. They were uh, Amelia in particular said, "I told you, Daddy, sequels are always bad." And I told her, "That's just because you haven't seen Aliens yet." I was, I was about, gonna say I, I was that about to say, ju- "Just say you're too young for Aliens. We'll get there." Uh, <laughs> but no, the kid, you know, the kids. In this case, if this was you know a statistically major part of the kids' core sample, the kid is not wrong. No, no, not at all. And Declan just wandered off because he didn't care at all. Wrath of Khan was far superior to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I don't think I don't think they've gotten there yet, uh, as well. There are tell the. Uh, no, they've seen Wrath of Khan. Oh. Yeah. Have they seen uh, the Star Trek the uh, motion picture? I couldn't get them to finish it. See. Have they seen Terminator <laughs> 2? No, God no. That, not yet. Well, that, I mean, well, there, there, ter- Terminator stuff. 1's probably rougher on kids than Terminator 2 would be, I would think. That's true. There, there's stuff they'll get around to. Just assure them that there are good sequels to be had. It's just... Just you know, not we, that one. Not yeah, just, one. Not, just not that this one. This one does so hold true to the, to, the, to the trope. A filmed deal. Well, I don't know. Actually, I, I don't think that's actually a fair characterization of this film. There is a tremendous amount of imagination uh, put into every aspect of this film. It is pretty superbly ex- executed. Why in the hell would you make it? Uh, th- th- this story, why would you want to tell it? I don't get it. Yeah, why, why not tell my drug-sniffing dog story? That would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I liked you telling that, that story better that than that movie. That would have been a bit alarming in its own right, but yeah, probably in, com- in completely well, different ways. How do you been... even explain that to little kids, though? You see, well, yeah, you I know. See... It would have been awesome, though. How do you explain well, you it anyway? Happened? Well, you see, Babe's a narc now. Ah! <laughs> 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 Babes he gets work, shot babe, in the line of duty, and then they all have hot dogs at the end. Oh, in the first one, he terrible. was working for the boss. Now he's working for the man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys see that pig guy who helped Babe out and then ter- showed back up as the judge? Nightmare oh, fuel. Guy. What Nightmare that fuel. monster? What a thing. <laughs> Horrible. Just horrifying. It's like I say, the movie is grotesque. Uh, it, it, it leans heavily into the grotesque for no discernible reason, except to maybe take the piss out of the sincere emotionality of the original one. There's no sincere emotionality there are, uh, in this movie. There are uh, a couple of notes that they hit just to try to stick it to the audience, uh, it doesn't resonate. Uh, it 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 gets the emotions wrong, and that was the the thing that this movie could never ever do, aside from fucking with Sanson. Uh, well, with the pig guy, like, you know, the first movie was about you know compassion and understanding. So then, with the second movie, when the pig guy shows up, I'm like, okay, what is this movie trying to say? Are they just making fun of ugly people, or like, why why is he here? I didn't I, get it. It's like I said, I don't... If this movie has a point, I don't get it. If it's about something, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's a film with an audience of one, and which is George Miller. Gene Siskel. Oh, two! <laughs> <laughs> I'm proven oh, wrong. 
I wonder what Ebert thought. I don't know. I'm, I think he actually gave it a pretty good review. He gave it uh, kind of a lot of props for imagination. But if you got out of certain classes of movie, Ebert was not as thoughtful as he probably should have been. Uh, I think he actually ended up giving it the same star rating that he gave the original Babe. And in hindsight, uh, that that seems even more of a mistake now than it even than, than it was then. Because Babe has aged beautifully, and this movie has aged into a bizarro curio that you can visit upon the unwary if they pissed you <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, for for years I heard that this was the better film. All of all of these really? friends over the years that said, "No, it's super. It's dark. It's crazy, and it's George Miller directed it, not some other guy." And I think that I just had a bunch of edge lord fr- friends. Thank you. <laughs> the nihilistic, or the punkish nihilism appealed to our asshole nihilistic punk ass friends yeah. back, back in the day. Although, worth noting, as far as I know, not even any of my college friends particularly liked this movie. That's good. But, that, but then again, like I say, it was a liberal arts college. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the movie... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> At the end of the movie, okay, she's been in jail. T- like, she's been arrested t- practically twice, uh, Esma has in the movie, twice now. How did they get out of that party room without being arrested with all of those animals? How did, I mean, they wanted a realism of, of like, her getting arrested and getting shut away. How are they not going to arrest her for jumping around like a maniac in like bubble pants? And <laughs> Does, to say nothing of where did she get the semi truck to bring all of the animals back to the farm? Seriously, yeah. yeah, that that's that's a bridge too far in terms of ellipses. <laughs> yeah, and they were flying over an ocean, so they would have had to put them all on a plane or a boat. I don't know. I, I guess. I, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, guess, I, even... I guess I guess they deleted the C one thirty scene. it was it wasn't in the script so they didn't shoot it yeah no i got nothing that's that that's you know it's like i say i'll give somebody five dollars if they give me an explanation of how dr fives got out of the hospital that i will actually accept i make no such bet with this movie if you can tell me how the fuck they got all of those animals back to the farm just just oh okay good for them yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) well on that (laughs) I think uh, I think that's going to be it for us for today. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say about this movie other than I I just I fucking hated it. I I didn't hate it. I just don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I like it just fine because Esme Hoggett is um, Sharon from Kathy Kim, and and she's great. She's a great. She's actor. fantastic. She is. She, no, she does she does stellar work in very difficult circumstances. Um, but it's it's true they were very abusive to her. And, uh, I I, I but think I I think it's just it's fine. It's not babe. I'm, but it's, I, it's fine. I, I'm gonna go with one one of my favorite uh, little uh, axioms, and I think it's rarely more uh, uh, appropriate uh, than in this particular context. There is only so much silk purse she can make out of that sow's ear. Oh. that's pretty that's dark right there man that's a perfect place to end the episode 
That's going to do it for us here on What's on the Pile. Join us next week for an Irwin Allen Spectacular with two of the most well-known disaster films in cinema history, The Poseidon Adventure, the story of a group of people trying to survive a capsized cruise liner, and The Towering Inferno, the story of a group of people trying to survive a burning building. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at What's on the Pile, or visit our website, whatsonthepile.com. Thanks for hanging out.